from 2 Corinthians 5. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making an appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Thank you, friends, for your prayers, for your encouragement, and your giving in material ways toward our trip in November to Cuba. As you know, we traveled representing Friends United Meeting, keeping strong that bridge of friendship that was begun in 1900 with the first Quaker missionaries that went to Cuba. FUM's mission, briefly summarized, is to energize, equip, and connect. On another day, we may be speaking to you about energizing and equipping, but today I'd like to highlight the ministry of connection. Some of us know firsthand what disconnection feels like. When Colin and I left Newburgh to move to Indiana in 2012, for me, it was like being set adrift. I was anchored in my faith, but out in the middle of the sea. There was no tether to community, no settled feeling of being moored and safe. I felt an underlying sense of restlessness and anxiety. But then if a friend would call, or even better, come to visit, which happened a few times, I could take a deep breath again and go on. It was like it restored my sense of peace. I'd been remembered. I'd been remembered. I was a member of something bigger and reminded of that. This reconnection and remembering is why FUM sends a group to Cuba every year. They're one of the most isolated yearly meetings in all of FUM due to the embargo and travel restrictions, and yet they're such close neighbors. But to re be reminded that they are tethered to the larger group of Quaker community, it restores their sense of peace. So Quakers are known as peacemakers, and as you might imagine, that looks different in a variety or the different locations. Over the last 35 years, I've had the privilege of visiting friends, communities all around the world. And one of the reasons I love visiting Cuban Quakers is because, in my experience, they're the healthiest, most holistic at embodying what it means to be Christ-centered friends in the tradition of peacemaking. As they go out, they proclaim and demonstrate the reality of the gospel of peace. And just as important in their life together and as they are, as they are a worshiping community, they're a presence of peace, where folks can come and belong to be membered into a new community, as Janine said, in a way that winds up changing their life and changing the relationships that they share with one another. Now, of course, they don't do this perfectly. None of us do. 
and but they hold in tension this sense that um, so many of us lose when we fragment the gospel, when we make it simply about one thing, whether that's worship or evangelism or social justice ministry or our political ideology or some other aspect of the gospel. The Cuban Quakers, it seems to me, are able to hold these things together and recognize that peacemaking is about um, moving each of us and all of us together into a reconciled relationship with God for the sake of the world. As Janine and I were thinking about a scripture passage to reflect on and some stories to share, we landed on this passage from 2 Corinthians 5 because it emphasizes that centrality of reconciliation of life with God, with one another, and in our ministry with other people. Amy, would you put the first slide up? <clears throat> During the night of September 7th, 2008, Hurricane Ike made landfall on the north coast of Cuba, severely damaging about 16,000 homes and properties just along that coastline near the town of Hibara, leaving thousands of people in that little area without shelter. <clears throat> No one was allowed to rebuild on their property along the oceanfront. And in 2009, and I've heard it was with humanitarian aid offered by Venezuela, a bunch of simple concrete high-rise apartments were constructed outside of Hibara at a greater distance from the seawall to provide for those who had lost their homes during the hurricane. And so the village of Pueblo Nuevo, new people, new town, was established as a home for thousands and thousands of traumatized, displaced families. Now imagine that, a whole town of traumatized, displaced families. So you can't see on the right, it says visiting Pueblo Nuevo because the other pictures on the screen are there. But this is, the, this is, this is where we, this is how we got there. This is me walking, this is the pastor, this is a teeny little place. The first time I visited the little Quaker church in Pueblo Nuevo was five years after the development of those buildings. Our group walked a mile from the big church in Kibara, and the roads are dusty and rocky and ridden with potholes. The church looked just like the dwellings that stood on either side, simple, concrete, and tiny. Because it was midday, we didn't expect more than a handful of people, certainly not a worship service, but we entered to find a dozen or so adults and a handful of children. It was hot and humid, and I could feel the sweat dripping down my skin under my clothes as we filed in, squeezing in with our large American bodies into these little wooden benches. <laughs> Full capacity of 36. Six benches deep, two on each side. It fit 36 people, about the size of this little section of benches right here, but mm, smaller, but we all fit in. <clears throat> I guess there was space for two or three people to stand up front. But other than that, we were squished in. It was very tight quarters, but the Cubans didn't seem to notice. They had these radiant smiles on their faces. They sang loudly, and it echoed off those little balls, and the children performed, and we had a little snack together, and we became acquainted. 
Pueblo Nuevo is the smallest church building in Cupid Valley Meeting, but these days the worship space is packed and overflowing. And we think we know why. The church is committed to being God's ambassadors of love to the surrounding community and to the poor. They regularly go to the apartment buildings to chat with people, to offer prayer, to inquire about needs, to be friendly, and to share the gospel message of love and acceptance and belonging. A couple times a year, they even get together. <clears throat> they set a giant stew pot over an open fire in the little tiny backyard space behind the meeting. And everyone brings something, a bag of rice, a couple, a couple jars of beans, a little bit of fish maybe that they picked up. And they stir it all together and make a huge batch of soup. And then they carry it around in little cups to the people in the community. Food is always welcome. For people in the community who have never attended a church, it's like opening the doors and pulling back the window shades so that folks can look in. Oh, that's what a church looks like. Oh, this is what a church does. This is what goes on inside. It feels nice. They are serving as ambassadors of reconciliation by demonstrating God's love in their community. This morning, Nate and the worship group led us in a prayer about making us instruments of peace. And I don't know, Cole, if you meant to say that or not, but you, you prayed for God's interference in our life today. And I think that those are connected, that being an instrument of peace is not about suddenly being made comfortable and it's an easy work, but I believe actually that God takes us at our word when we pray. So I'm hesitant to pray because I expect God's actually going to wind up answering that. And so when we think about being instruments of peace, there may be some interference that's going to happen in our lives to um, prepare us to do that work adequately. The work of reconciliation is rooted in the Hebrew vision of shalom, that all-encompassing peace that restores relationships. And within the context of Paul's letter to Corinth, as we read in this passage, it's about making all things new, that interfering work of transforming us. Not simply in an ideological sense, but shalom has a way of changing everything about us. So we really are living in harmony with God. We really are learning and practicing how to live in harmony with one another. Figuring out how it is we live in harmony with ourselves, with creation, and with a world that is, um, as Janine said, when we pull back the window and they look at our lives and they think, how, do, how now do we build that kind of restored relationship with others? We know through the Hebrew that uh, or the Hebrew word shalom encompasses health, it encompasses security, goodness, comfort, safety, happiness, wellness, wholeness, soundness, enoughness. Shalom is about enoughness. And lately I've been reflecting on another way that shalom is characterized. When I came back from Cuba, I stumbled across a definition of shalom that basically says it means nothing is myths missing and nothing is broken. That shalom is about living a kind of life and with others where nothing is missing and is not, nothing is broken. Experiencing that genuine healing in our own lives, that restoration from grace that makes me whole. 
But God interferes in my life in such a way that doesn't leave me broken and wounded and hurt and therefore hurting others. Nothing is missing in the relationships that we share with one another and how we treat one another, how we, show, how we confess to one another, forgive one another, show mercy and compassion. How it is that we learn to live in relationship with creation, which is something we talk a lot about here. How are we actually doing it in a way that reflects that completeness? If you read on in 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul talks also about how within community they practice a kind of mutuality where no one has too much and no one has too little. How is that kind of peace reflected in a community like ours? And where also we embrace our ambassador calling to proclaim and demonstrate this peace of Christ to other people who are still looking for it, who still wonder if it's real and true. I see that happening imperfectly but beautifully through our Cuban friends and continue to long to be a part of a community where it's true in a place like ours as well. So another story from Cuba. The next slide, please. It's a little bit dark. The fellow on the left is holding a big filter, so I will explain this. <clears throat> when people from the United States go to Cuba, we can either buy a bottle of water that comes from another country, or we can purchase spring water where it's available, although it might be a little bit brackish, salty, um, from the ocean mixing in. Or we can drink filtered water, which is only available in a few places. Except for babies and young children, most Cubans drink the local tap water, which would make us immediately quite ill. I suspect it also affects the Cubans, but they have little choice. Few people have the discretionary income to be able to buy bottled water. <clears throat> when I speak with people there about health, <clears throat> health concerns, it seems to me that Nearly everyone has ongoing intestinal issues of some sort. I imagine a lot of that's from the water. When we travel as representatives of FUM, we stay at the churches, which is a, required, uh, a, a requirement imposed by our religious visa. Um, happily for us, two of the big churches in Cuba have water filtration systems. <clears throat> and they're complicated, they're expensive to maintain, but having ample amounts of clean water provides the church with a unique form of outreach to their community. They have water that offers life and health. Perfect metaphor for Jesus, the living water who refreshes our spirit. You can see this filtration system up there on the left. It's very complicated. It took him 28 to 30 minutes to explain it to us. And you can see, use esta agua para beber. Use this water to drink. This is the fresh water. And down in the left corner is the, where we get our water from in Hibara. Those we Americans that's inside the complex there. And um, on the right, you'll see this is the ministry. You can see the ministry has built a bridge, one that brings people to the physical location of the church. This is the clean water station at that church in Hibara. Generally, it's open to the community in, every morning for a couple of hours. So the pastor and other church, church folks are there to greet the people as they come in, the, all the community members. And as they wait their turn, they visit with them and welcome them and offer prayer as well as water. Because of this ministry, everybody in town knows where Friends Church is. It's built an enduring positive reputation as well as a tremendous amount of goodwill. 
in the community. He's done. I'm not. What do you know? There's... Wait, 39 years of this. He's done. I'm not. Next slide, please. Oh, okay. The biggest Quaker church in Cuba is in Olguin. That's actually where we fly into on the east side of the country. There's also a water filtration system there and a clean water ministry. The pastor told me she tries to be there at 5.30 every morning because people start showing up about 6. The buildings now have a kitchen, a dormitory space, classrooms, and offices, and the sanctuary itself opens right out into a, a public square. And every time something's going on in the sanctuary, that door is wide open. They didn't really have to construct, construct a bridge to invite people in to the church because in the city there are always plenty of people that are looking for compassionate care and help. So years ago when I was there on a Sunday morning, I watched an unsteady man enter the door, Sunday morning worship, at the back from the square, stumbled sideways a little bit, and then he headed slowly and awkwardly down toward the center aisle. Within a few seconds, Another gentleman stood up from the congregation and moved toward him. I recognized him as the leader of the AA meeting earlier in that week. And he walked over to the drunk man, he put his arm around his shoulder, and he guided him to a pew and sat down with him. And they stayed there, seated together through the rest of worship. Those who enter are welcomed by someone who's ready to help. One time when we were in the church in Olguin, during a big celebration, it was the missionary celebration, it's been 122 years now. This was in a, been 119 years when this happened. Big drama performance. There was a choir. There were children. Um, there were new members admitted into the church. There was a message. All this stuff going on, and it was in the evening. And again, that door to the square was wide open. About a quarter of an hour or so into the, into the message, two men walked in in formal clothes, and they walked right up to the front bench and sat down front and center. They watched during the entire program, and then they got up and left. The pastor told us later that those were government officials who had probably come to intimidate with their presence, but they were pretty overwhelmed with what was going on, and they left having heard the gospel message in many different ways. And this fall, our church was invited to participate in that church's Saturday morning uh, ministry to seniors. Every Saturday morning, they're invited to come in. Where professionals from the church community are there to offer haircuts and foot care and manicures and other services. And while they await their turn, the seniors are offered a short exercise class to help maintain their strength and their balance. They watch some form of church presentation. This time you can see in the front that the youth were doing a liturgical dance. And then they enjoy a snack and a chance to visit with one another and avoid their isolated lives during because of COVID. Um, in a safe, uh, sheltered inside space. Their loneliness is soothed, their hunger is satisfied, their thirst is quenched with clean water, their physical needs are attended to with compassionate care. This is another fine example of preaching the gospel of peace and reconciliation. As we head into quiet time, I just wanted to um, share with you when I was in grad school, one of my professors paraphrased 2 Corinthians 5.18, and his words have been helpful for me in the past several years. He said, God built a bridge to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of bridge building. Mm 